0: Well, good morning, Genesis, to those who are physically here in the space, super excited that you're here, and if you're watching, joining with us online, uh, thanks for taking time on a Sunday morning to be with us. My name is Michael, I serve uh, here also as one of the pastors, and sincerely grateful uh, that you're here or joining us. Uh, I want to talk briefly about law, because we live in a land that is governed by laws, so many laws, in fact, that we actually have no idea how many laws actually are in existence. This was in 2008, a House committee asked the Congressional uh, Research Service to calculate the number of laws, state and federal, actually in our country. Five years went by, and the Congressional Research Service went back to the House and said, we do not have the resources or the manpower to answer the question that you have put before us. In 2010 alone, there was over 40,000 laws that were put into place just in our country, uh, federal as well as state. Now, it's safe to say that there are many laws that are good and helpful and needed in our country, I mean, for example, traffic laws. Are we not thankful that there are some raw, uh, some laws governing uh, how things work on the road, that there's some laws related to speed and what someone is going to do or not do at an intersection? Uh, I mean, if there was no traffic laws, then the roads would become somewhat undrivable. So I think we would agree that many laws are needed and necessary, but Being honest, there are some laws that we would just put in the category of absolutely ridiculous. So I did some research to find what are some of the most ridiculous laws that still exist and are still on the books. In Connecticut, this was in 1948, two men were arrested for selling pickles that were unfit for human consumption. And so they had to have a conversation of what law do we put in place to make the determination whether pickles are good enough for human consumption. And so this is what they did, discussing ways to check for good pickles. Officials declared that a pickle is legal only if it bounces. The pickles in question did not bounce, so the two men were arrested and they were fined, and then the pickles were destroyed. That law is still in place. If a pickle doesn't bounce, it's not legal for consumption. In California, it is illegal to whistle for a lost canary before 7 a.m., California state law prohibits any whistling for a lost canary before 7 a.m. In Kentucky, a woman cannot marry a man more than three times. That's just for women. No law there for men. A woman cannot marry the same man three times. This is crazy. This has been on the books in New York for a long time. It's not been taken off. But slippers are banned. You cannot wear slippers legally after 10 o'clock p.m. It's an old law on the books that hasn't been removed, but slippers are not legally allowed to be worn in the state of New York after 10 p.m. In Vermont, it is illegal still to this day for women to wear fake teeth without their husband's approval. It's mandatory for women to get written permission from their husbands if they want to opt to have false teeth. Indiana, it is illegal to catch fish with your bare hands. And in the state of Massachusetts, I did not know this, but singing or playing the national anthem, only part of the national anthem, uh, or remixing the national anthem uh, is a illegal and punishable by jail and fine. So, you'll go to a a sporting event, if they only play half of the national anthem, or if they somehow remix the national anthem, that is illegal and punishable by jail time as well as a fine. Now, it's easy to laugh at some of these very weird and somewhat abstract laws in place, but when talking about laws, one thing becomes crystal clear. We do not like being told what to do. Whether it's our government, whether it's a parent or a spouse or a boss or a friend, we, generally speaking, do not like other people telling us what to do. Laws, even if they are for our own good, often just rub us the wrong way. Now, be honest here for a moment. When is the last time that someone told you to do something in your life and your first response was, thank you? so much for stepping into my life and telling me how I should be living my life. I'm guessing that is that first response is probably not in our repertoire of responses. Now, why am I talking about laws? Well, today we are continuing our journey through the story of Exodus that we began all the way back in February of 2019. Now, if you were not here when we began this journey. Uh, about a year and a half ago, or you're honestly not very familiar with the story of Exodus, I would say it's probably one of the most powerful and encouraging stories in all of Scripture, because it's the story of God's people who were being held in brutal bondage and slavery to the nation of Egypt for over 400 plus years. It's the story of a people who cried out to God for help, for salvation, for deliverance, And God not only delivered His people from the brutal chains of Egypt that they were in, but He did so in such a powerful and personal way. It was powerful in that God rescued Israel through His power, His might, through the ten plagues and through the parting of the Red Sea, but it was also incredibly personal in that God's people came to know God's personal name of Yahweh. And they were able to experience and encounter God in ways that no one had ever experienced before of His love and His grace and His kindness and His faithfulness to all of His promises. So today, where we're picking up the story, the people of God are going to experience something that no other people group on the entire planet have ever experienced before. They're going to hear the audible voice of God. They are about to hear the audible voice of God. Now, to be honest, I don't know about you, but I have never heard the audible voice of God. I can only imagine that would be both terrifying, but also incredible. Years after God spoke to His people at Mount Sinai, and Moses is reflecting on this moment that the people had when they first heard the audible voice of God This is how Moses remembers that moment. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 11. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while flames from the mountain shot into the sky. The mountain was shrouded in black clouds and deep darkness, and the Lord spoke to you from the heart of the fire. You heard the sound of His words, But didn't see his form, there was only a voice. And then he goes on in verse 32. Now search all of history from the time of when God created people on the earth until now, and search from one end of the heavens to another. Has anything, anything as great as this ever been seen or heard before? Has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from the fire as you did and survived. I love Moses' question Has anything as great as what you experienced that day at the mountain, hearing the voice of God, ever happened in human history? And his answer is no. There was no moment like this that had ever happened before. Now let's imagine for a moment, though, if God didn't speak, if God didn't permit his people and consequently then us as well, to actually hear His voice. What might happen if God did not speak? I think I can answer that question really in two words, and the two words would just be moral relativism. Now, if you're not familiar with that language of moral relativism, simply says there is no one who is right, and there is no one who is wrong. It's people making up their own moral code or rules for living based solely on their personal preference. Now, I don't have time this morning to get into the destructive nature of moral relativism in our culture, but I can tell you this, the root of moral relativism lies in we do not like being told what to do. We're people who just do not like anyone telling us what to do. Now, They heard God's voice. Anyone want to take a guess at what God spoke when he allowed people to hear his voice for the very first time? Ten words. Ten words. We know them as the Ten Commandments. From Mount Sinai, God gives his people the way that he wants them to live. Now, whether you've been in church your whole life or you've never been in church at all, I'm guessing you have some familiarity with the Ten Commandments. You might not be able to uh, recite all of the Ten Commandments in order, but in so many ways, the Ten Commandments have served as a moral code for humanity over the past 3,000 years. But as we embark on this journey together of walking through the Ten Commandments together, I think there needs to be a shift in how we actually think about God's law, or God's commandments. I mean, have you ever thought to yourself, or maybe someone has actually told you, gosh, Christianity, it is just a bunch of rules and regulations. It's just a really long list of do this and don't do that. Well, when we think that way, or when people say those things to us, the thought behind that statement is that either God is this impersonal God, or maybe God is just this cosmic tyrant, who ultimately does not have what's best in mind for me. Now, let me ask you this question. If I made a Davis law, a Davis commandment in my house, where I told my three kids, at no point are you to ever be a passenger in a vehicle of someone who has been drinking, would you view me as an impersonal or a tyrannical dad that ultimately does not care at all about his children? Would you accuse me of being that father who just makes these arbitrary rules in his house and regulations because you're just some kind of control freak of a father? Or wouldn't you be thinking to yourself, gosh, that command, that law reflects the heart of a father who cares deeply about the safety and the protection of his three kids? So the first thing that we need to see the first thing that we need to know and understand when we're talking about God's laws, when we're talking about God's commandments, is this. His laws reflect His heart, and His commands reflect His character. His laws reflect His heart for us, and His commandments reflect His character. If our starting point with God's laws and commandments, namely the 10 that we were given, is that this is nothing more than just a, a list of do this and don't do that, intended to just restrict my personal freedom, then we're going to miss completely seeing the heart of God for us and miss completely seeing the character of God. So rather than approaching God's laws, God's commands for us as a burden we must bear, we must have a shift in our thinking to see them as a reflection of His heart for us, ultimately a reflection of who He is and what He is like. Now, if we choose to say, hey, I'm just going to ignore or I'm going to dismiss God's laws or God's commandments because they're just irrelevant or, I don't know, they're just unimportant to my life, what we're doing when we do that is actually assaulting God's character and God's heart. Now, that sounds a little bit harsh. You're like, Michael, I'm not assaulting God. But when we ignore God's laws, God's commandment, what we are essentially doing is is saying, God, who you are is not important to who I am and how I live. If His commandments are a reflection of His character, if His laws are a reflection of His heart, when we ignore them, we're communicating to God who you are. It is utterly not important to who I am and how I live my life. But conversely, when we choose to live by God's laws or God's commandments in our life, two things happen. We communicate to God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust your heart. I trust your character. And secondly, we communicate to people around us in our lives, hey, this is what God is like. Here is a picture of who He is. Now, before we get too far into this conversation, let me ask what I think is a pretty critical question. What relevance What relevance does the Ten Commandments even have today? Aren't we under grace and love? Like, aren't we now kind of in that time frame of it's grace and it's love and it's not commandments and laws? You might think to yourself, didn't I read somewhere in the New Testament that all those Old Testament laws and rules and regulations, they don't really apply to us anymore? I want to be as clear as I possibly can. God's moral law is still binding today. God's law is still, God's moral law is still binding today. His standard has not changed. Do you know why? Because he has not changed. Who he is, his character, his heart has not changed. I mean, think for a minute. When would it ever be permissible to worship another God? or to misuse God's name, or when would it ever be permissible to lie, or to murder, or to steal, or to dishonor your parents, or to commit adultery? When would it ever be permissible to do any of those things? Now, I'm going to guess that most people would agree, Christian or not Christian, I'm going to guess that most people would agree that the Ten Commandments, by and large, are a good thing. But what I've heard so many times is this, but Michael, I'm kind of more of that New Testament Christian, and the Old Testament with all the rules, regulations, commands, and, and laws, man, they just don't apply to me in the 21st century anymore. Well, to say that or to think that would be to miss altogether God's purposes in actually giving us His laws, His way that He wants us to live, His commandments, So at any point, if you have struggled with, gosh, what relationship do I actually have with God's laws or God's commandments, I wanted to encourage you that you're not actually the first person to struggle with such a question of how do I relate with Old Testament law and commandments. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament actually addressed this very subject because people were now making the decision, hey, I want to follow Jesus. What's the point of paying attention to the Old Testament anymore and all the rules and regulations and and laws and commandments. And so, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? And he answers his own question by simply saying, of course not. Of course not. We can't just say, well, I just have faith and ignore completely God's laws, God's commandments. Or listen to what Jesus said about the law in Matthew 5. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses, the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So according to Jesus, the law or the commandments actually have a purpose. So what is the purpose of law? What is the purpose of the commandments? Well, give it to you in in two ways. The law's purpose is twofold. Show God's people how to live in a way that would reflect who God is. That's purpose number one. He gave us law commandments to show us how to live our lives in a way that would reflect who He is and what He's like. And the second purpose of the law was to actually show people their need for a Savior, So when you look at these two purposes, God did not create us to live in moral relativism. He gave us a way to live in order to have a healthy and flourishing relationship with God and with each other. But because no one could ever live out all of God's commandments perfectly, every single person on the planet would see and realize, gosh, I can't do this. I keep falling short of God's standard I need help. I need a Savior. See, I think the assumption that many people make is that the, in the Old Testament, salvation came by obeying the Old Testament laws and rules and regulations, but in the New Testament, it kind of flipped. Salvation, forgiveness actually came through grace. What I don't want anyone to miss this morning is this. Salvation has always come by grace. Salvation, right relationship with God, forgiveness of sin, it has always come by grace. The law of God never had the power to actually save anyone. God saved people by way of grace, and then He gave them His law. He gave them a way to live that would actually reflect the salvation that He has given to them. Maybe another way that hopefully will be helpful to remember this is this, First gospel, then law. It is always first gospel, then law. God did not give his people the law until chapter 20 of Exodus. Do you know what chapter 1 through chapter 19 in Exodus is all about? It is the story of Israel's salvation by grace. It's only after salvation, meaning gospel, that God gives His people a way to live the law that reflects the redemption that they had just received. So, I want us to understand the law is not opposed to the gospel. The law actually shows our need for the gospel, and the law actually reminds us of the gospel. Again, consider what Moses said in regard to the law and its connection to To salvation, its connection to the gospel. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws and these decrees and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? That's a great question. What is the meaning of all of these things? And here's the response. You must tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. What this means for us is when somebody asks you the question, why do you live so differently? Like, what is it about you that is just so different in the way that you live your life that's so different than anyone else around you? Your answer to that question should always be, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story of God. He rescued me, God saved me, God redeemed me, God delivered me, and He did all of that by His grace. Not because I had worked or done anything to merit His salvation, His redemption, His deliverance. It was all by grace. And then what we tell people is that when God's grace showed up in my life, God gave me a brand new way to live my life first there is gospel, salvation by grace, then there is law, a way to live that reflects the salvation that we have been given. Now, some might still argue, all right, Michael, I'm I'm somewhat tracking with you. This sounds good, but didn't Jesus actually tell us the two most important commandments? Didn't He just say, hey, there's really two commandments of love God and love your neighbor? Those are the two things that we're supposed to just focus on, And I would say absolutely. Jesus summed up the entirety of the Old Testament law by saying love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, here's a very practical question for us to consider. How do we love God? How do we love our neighbor? If those are the two most important things we should be doing, how do we love God and how do we love our neighbor? How do we do that? Well, I think the Bible would answer that question by this, live out the Ten Commandments. Live out the Ten Commandments. Now, what on earth does the Ten Commandments have to do with loving God and loving our neighbor? And the short answer would be everything, because commandments one through four show us how to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And commandments five through ten show us how to love our neighbor. You see, these Ten Commandments are not just some ancient moral code that have no relevance for our lives or even for our culture today. Found in these Ten Commandments is the key to understanding how we are to live out the two greatest commandments of love God and love our neighbor. John, who was a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, this is what he said in a letter he wrote about how we are to love God. This is 1 John 5. Loving God means keeping His commandments. The way that we can express love to God is to keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome, are not burdensome. And when the Apostle Paul was exhorting the church in Rome of, to love your neighbor, to love people around you, listen to his reference point, for how we are to actually love one another. This is in Romans 13. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law, God's commandments. For Paul, the Ten Commandments show us how we are to love one another. Let me just think about this for a moment. Dream with me, if you will. Can you envision how much better life would be if every single person lived in light of the Ten Commandments? There would be no need for copyright laws. There would be no need for locks on doors. There would be no need for fraud protection. There would be no need to spend money on weapons or defense systems. There would be no need for courts or contracts. There would be no need for prisons. Can you imagine what life would be like if we all lived out the Ten Commandments? Now, you might say, Michael, that sounds a bit too utopian. Well, the way that God has commanded His people to live was to be so radically different that those who had no idea who God was and what God was like, would catch a glimpse of the heart of God and the character of God and what His people were like and how His people lived. If we want to experience life as God intended it, if we want to enjoy a dynamic and a flourishing friendship, relationship with God, if we want to enter into and enjoy meaningful and missional relationships with one another then live in light of the Ten Commandments. Now, I want to err on the side of repeating myself on something because I don't want there to be any confusion on this. The commandments, meaning a way that we are to live our lives, were not given to us in order to establish a relationship with God. It wasn't like the message from the mountain was, hey, I'm going to give you these commandments. I'm going to come back in a few years, and if you actually paid attention and observed them, then we'll begin a relationship together. The commandments, the law, a way to live, they were given to a people who had already been set apart by God for God. The commandments were given to a people who had already been redeemed, and the commandments were intended to show redeemed people how to live life every single day. Now, next Sunday, we're going to begin by looking at the first commandment that was given to us. But before I, I close our time this morning, I wanted us just to sit with these three words. I wanted us just to sit for a moment with this thought, and it's this, God has spoken. God has spoken which means many things, but two things that it certainly means is this, God is personal. Because God has spoken, it means God is personal. He did not want any of His people then, nor does He want any of His people today to be far away from Him or His plans for our lives. And secondly, because God has spoken, that means something for you and I. It means everything has changed. Because God has spoken, we can't pretend as if He hasn't because His voice requires a response from each of us. Because He's allowed us to hear His voice in the same way that He allowed them to hear His voice, it requires a response from us. Now, some might say, Michael, I'm off the hook. Like, I wasn't there at Mount Sinai 3,000-some-odd years ago. I didn't actually hear His voice, so I don't have to pay attention to this stuff, right? Well, I don't know, just to let you know, I wasn't there either, but I would tell you this. God is still speaking. God has spoken, and God is still speaking. Well, Michael, how is God still speaking today? I love how the author of Hebrews answers this question for us in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, in these final days, He's spoken to us through His Son. God has spoken. God is still speaking to, through uh, to us through His Son. So maybe the obvious question becomes if 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 Jesus is speaking, Jesus being the Son of God, what is He saying? What is He saying to you? What is He saying to me? What is He saying to all of us? I could sum up what Jesus is saying to all of us in three words, and it's an invitation found in Matthew 4. It's the first words that His followers heard is, come follow me. You see, the same Jesus that invited people 2,000 years ago to follow him in relationship with him is the same Jesus who's still inviting every single one of us to come follow him. How is that possible? Jesus was 2,000 years ago. Well, it's possible because Jesus is still alive today. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is very much alive. Jesus lived a sinless life, which just means He obeyed perfectly all of God's commandments, and then Jesus died in our place to pay the penalty for you and I and all the people back then breaking all of the commandments that God had given us. But then something amazing happened on the third day. Jesus conquered death, and the invitation was anyone who looks to a Jesus who is very much alive through faith will receive life everlasting. Remember, it is first gospel, salvation by grace, then law, a new way for us to live our lives in a way that reflects who God is. Jesus has invited each of us, come, follow me. We're going to take a few minutes. We're going to take five minutes, actually. There's two questions that I wanted us to really reflect on This morning, our worship team is just going to be playing some music quietly behind us, and then they'll lead us in a time of worship as we close. But the two questions that I wanted us to reflect on this morning is this Is there an area in your life where you're not following Jesus? Because Jesus didn't say, Come follow me with this part of your life or with this part of your life. Is there an area in your life? we are like, Jesus, I'll give you some time on Sunday. I'll even give you some time throughout the week to do some other good things. But is there an area of your life where you're not following Jesus? Is there an area maybe in your marriage or your relationships or your parenting or your finances? Is there an area where maybe how you spend your time that you're not following him? Sit with that question. Because if the answer comes back, yes, there is an area of your life that you've not yet followed him. And let these five minutes simply be Jesus. Thanks for speaking to me and where I'm not following you, I repent of that and I choose to follow you here. And the second question I want to invite you to to reflect on is, if you haven't said yes to following Jesus, what's holding you back? Because God has spoken and He's still speaking. And He's inviting all of us no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've had done. Jesus is inviting you to hear his words, come follow me. If you've not said yes to that invitation, what is holding you back? Identify that in these next few minutes, and then I invite you to respond to the invitation from Jesus to you. Jesus, In this moment, in this time, in this space, in this place, whether you're here or watching online, I want to make the decision to follow you and to trust you for forgiveness and for my life eternal. God, I pray that you would speak to us in these few moments that we have together. Allow us to hear from you what we need to hear so that we might respond to you. I pray that Jesus, your name.